0: So let me pray as we get into to the Word of God this morning. Father, I pray for Your your grace upon us, um, uh, particularly for Avon and I in this week away. as so We'll be uh, away and it'll be a, a marriage-strengthening time, but it'll be a, a lot of work, long hours, long days. We've done this before, and God, thank You for the opportunity to do this. We pray that You would bless our, our time, uh, God, in which we... Um, I'd come together and seek to decide what to include, how big to make this book uh, and uh, just what to include in it, how to package it. Lord, I pray that you would use it for the the glory of Christ, Lord, that you would use it in, uh, in many ways, Lord, for the salvation of souls. I think of the blind man who simply told what he said. He said, I once was blind, but now I see and talking about spiritual sight, he he couldn't see before, but now he can see. And uh, he was just sharing his testimony of what it was, and even confronted the Pharisees. You want to be his disciple as well? Um, Lord, And would pray that just as people explain how they've gone from darkness to light, how they've been made new creatures, how their eyes have been opened, and how their ears have been unplugged, now they can hear and see and discern the things of spiritual reality. I pray you'd use that for, for your your glory uh, Lord, and I, I would pray just for um, next Sunday. God, we'll be in DeKalb. I look forward to the opportunity of preaching in the old Fisk building where Kishwaukee Bible Church began. Um, looking forward to being with a, uh, another group of people just to encourage them and help them. would pray for next week as Jamie is up here. I pray it would be a helpful, encouraging time. God, I pray we'd be challenged um, in the ways of Christ, comforted in the gospel. But I, I pray right now, particularly God, for this morning as we come to this text, Leviticus 9 and 10, which is powerful and I feel weak this morning to communicate it and communicate it well with heart and passion. There's, there's so much God, heart and passion here that speaks about coming towards You. I, I pray, God, that by Your grace You might, might help that to come through, that we would be people who would know You and love You and serve You. Got to be thrilled with what you've done for us in Christ. I thank you for the worship this morning as we sung songs of Jesus and our our redemption. We've read Psalm 29, speaking of your powerful, mighty voice. God, may may these things reverberate in our hearts and minds and give us comfort in you, O God. God, teach us in this moment, in these days, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in his, uh, his great book, The Holiness of God, R.C. Sproul writes this, a survey of people who used to be church members revealed that the main reason why they stopped going to church was that they found it boring. It's difficult for many people to find worship a thrilling and moving experience. And then R.C. Sproul went on to contrast this feeling with the reality of what took place when Isaiah encountered God in His throne. You remember that that scene that even Ryan alluded to this morning, how the, the Lord was high and exalted in His temple. And, and the train of His robe filled the whole temple. And the temple was, was filling with smoke. And, and these seraphim were above Him. These six-winged creatures each saying to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And when God spoke, the foundations of the temple shook. So awesome was the scene and so so dreadful was the sight of God that Isaiah, the holiest man in the land, was struck down and said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am undone. I am ruined. Such could hardly be a boring place. And you see the glory of the Lord and. And well, he could have said with Jacob, when Jacob encountered God, Jacob said this, how awesome is this place? There is none. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then R.C. Sproul continues. He says, people do not normally feel that way in church. There's no sense of awe, no sense of being in the presence of one who makes us tremble, because people in awe will never complain that church is boring. People in awe will never complain that church is boring. Well, this morning we come to the Scriptures. We come to one of those texts that brings us into the presence of God. It's one of those texts that can hardly be described as as boring unless the preacher fails in his efforts. And I feel, as even as I pray, just longing to bring us into the reality of this scene. We're going to see in this scene the holiness of God. We're going to see in this scene the fire of God that burns. We're going to see in these scenes the death at the hand of God, where God kills His priests who disobeyed. We're going to hear several death threats for wrong behavior. You need to obey this way lest you die. We'll hear that several times. We will see fear and trembling, and may we catch... A glimpse of the awe of God this morning. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to open to Leviticus chapter 9. Last week, we looked at chapter 8 that described the ordination of the first priests, Aaron and his sons. We saw how how Moses washed Aaron and his sons in a ceremonial cleansing. We saw how he dressed them with their priestly garments. Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar were were given their, their white tunics and sash, but the high priest Aaron... Was given the, the turban and, and the breast piece. And we saw last week how these priests were anointed with oil and, and um, how Moses offered sacrifice on their behalf and how he took some of the blood of that sacrifice and, and sprinkled oil on them and sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on their garments. And he rubbed their, their ear and their big thumb, the thumb on their right hand and their big toe and their right foot, and he consecrated them as priests. And now in chapter 9, the focus turns from Moses and what he did to Aaron and what he's going to do as the first high priest offering the sacrifices for himself and for Israel. This is the first day of atonement, if you will. In terms of outline this morning, I have two points. One for each chapter. Chapter 9 and 10. Chapter 9 is good worship. Chapter 10 is bad worship. We're going to see in chapter 9, Aaron offering up his, his sacrifices and offerings according to the, the, the commandments of God. And we're going to see this these sacrifices received of God. And then we'll see Nadab and Abihu in chapter 10 offering up their first sacrifices and seeing their sacrifices rejected by God. And There are things that we can learn really from these two points. There, there is good worship and there is bad worship. And and I think the biggest thing for us is this: that not all worship is gladly received by the Lord. I, I remember one time. This was this was years ago when I was working at a hospital in In DeKalb. I was given an opportunity to to speak at a, a cancer group, like after an all night walkathon, kind of whatever it was. Uh, given an opportunity to speak and and and, because it was a a nurse who was kind of in charge of of those things was in our our group and and she said, well, yeah, we just want to we just want a good message, a message that, you know, believe what you believe and make sure you believe it Sincerely. (laughs) That's what she wanted me to speak. Of course, that's not what I spoke. That's what she wanted me to speak. But that is the prevailing attitude of many today, is that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely. right? And, and many people have that. It doesn't matter how you come to God as long as you come to Him sincerely. But this passage would speak to us differently. We tend to think that just anybody showing up in church, singing a few songs, listening to a message... Leaving with a smile is pleasing to the Lord. And I say this, church family, not so. Not so. There are many who seek to worship the Lord. Their worship is vain, empty, useless. And God hates their worship. To Judah, the Lord says this in Isaiah 1, 13-15. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Did you catch the significance of of the Lord's words? Judas coming before the Lord, probably just as God had directed them. They probably brought their burnt offering and their grain offering and their peace offering and their sin offering and their guilt offering to the Lord exactly as He told them. Because there's no rebuke about how they brought it at all. They were celebrating their feasts and festivals according to the Lord's instructions. When we get to Leviticus chapter 23, we'll look at those feasts and festivals. They were praying to the Lord. They were fervent in their prayers. They were spreading out their hands to the Lord. And God says, I hate your worship. My soul hates your feasts and your sacrifice. He says, I'm weary of bearing them. You might, you might bring them, and it, but I'm weary of them. He said, I will not listen to your prayers. Why? Because there's such a thing as bad worship. In the case of Judah, they, they were living sinful lives. Right? Their hands covered with blood. He said, I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. They thought that they could live the way they wanted to live and yet come before God and have God be pleased with them. But God said, No. Such is not the case. I will hide my eyes from you. That's why Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in His holy place? In other words, who shall come into the presence of God? And then he answers the question, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. See, it's pure people with pure hearts who come before the Lord. And of of course, in an ultimate sense, that is totally impossible for us to do that before the Lord, apart from Jesus. We need His righteousness to approach the Lord. We need His Spirit to give us a right heart in worshiping the Lord. See, there are many pitfalls in worship. Like, like Judah, you can live a, a sinful life and try to worship the Lord. Your worship would be rejected. Even Yvonne and I were talking today, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. If men don't live with their wives in an understanding way, their prayers would be hindered. There's a way to live sinfully in marriage and and your worship is not acceptable to God at all. You can worship the Lord in ignorance, saying we're going to worship God, but worshiping him in a way that you don't even know who God is. Uh, I think what's typical of that is, is, say, Exodus 32, when Aaron brought the. The golden calf. You remember what he said? He said, Behold your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This golden calf that we have here. It's ignorant. And God hated that worship. Moses came down and hated it, it broke the tablets. Or, or you can worship God with a, a cold heart and you'll be rejected. You remember those in Ephesus to whom, the, to whom John wrote? He says, You got all your doctrine right, but you've left your first love you're, you're orthodox you everything's right but you're cold jesus says that those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth meaning that with of the passions of the heart and according to the truth both those things need to be combined don't think that just right doctrine saves the day it doesn't and don't just think your your heart of everything you got saves the day it doesn't you combine those two things together is important and And the Jews of Jesus' day came with a cold heart. They had no spirit. Jesus applied Isaiah's words to them. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. In other words, you can say the right things, but worship of the Lord that is mere words and formulas falls dead and flat before God's eyes. See, worship involves the heart. John MacArthur speaks about the various ways worship is bad. He said, the Samaritan style of worship was done in ignorance. Remember, they they worshiped on Mount Gerizim, thinking Mount Gerizim was the place where Jerusalem was the place, and they thought they had it. He says, no, they worship in ignorance. John MacArthur continues, the Jews had the truth, but lacked the spirit. Dull formality, thinking all the externals, right? Think, Think that we've got it. He continues, enthusiastic heresy is heat without light. Barren orthodoxy is light without heat. Worshipping with enthusiasm is not enough. On the other hand, there are those who hold firmly to sound doctrine, but have lost their spirit of enthusiasm. They know the truth, but can't get excited about it. Maybe some of them go to church. The Father seeks both enthusiasm and orthodoxy, spirit and truth. So this morning as we look at good worship and bad worship, it will do well to examine our hearts as well. Make sure the Lord is receiving our, our worship. So just think about when you, you come to the Lord, Sunday mornings, let's so just think about that. Do you come with a a right heart? Are Sunday's a dread for you? You come with expectancy. Like, I get to come to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. That was David's heart. Or do you just kind of meander in late, casually coming to God? Or do you come with clean hands? Was your life marked throughout the week by impurity more than righteousness? Do you come by faith in Jesus? Saying nothing in my hands I, I cling, simply nothing in my hands I bring. Simply the cross I, I cling. There's a, the one song Ivan likes. It right these, these um, some, filthy rags, these, these dirty hands. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Right, so these dirty hands I raise, but with Christ we can raise clean hands. That's by coming by faith. In Jesus, Or do you come by way of your own merits, thinking that I'm good enough to do it? I'm good enough to come into the presence of God. These are the types of things that make the difference between good worship and bad worship. And we'll see some of these seeds here in Leviticus 9 and 10, which is a big contrast. Okay, we need to get going. Leviticus 9, verse 1, we see good worship. We read, on the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And I trust you remember from last week where we left Aaron and his sons. They were told, chapter 8, verse 35, to remain in the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days. They're supposed to be there for all of Israel to be able to pass by and to see them. And time was needed for the the time of ordination as priests. And so important was this, that they were given a death threat. Look at verse 35. You should be there so that you do not die, for so you have been commanded. Stay there in the entrance of the tent of meeting or you're going to die Well, good news. Chapter nine, we find them all alive. They stayed there all seven days, the entrance of the tent of meeting. And now we pick it up on the eighth day. Verse two, Moses said to Aaron, take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of the meeting, and the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Here was Moses giving Aaron his first instructions for his first sacrifice he was going to offer He says he's going to offer a a burnt offering and a sin offering that's for himself. And then in 3 and 4, he's going to offer a sin offering and a burnt offering and a peace offering and a grain offering. There's going to be six sacrifices, first for himself, these two, and then four offerings for the people. Now, if if you look, that's four of the five offerings that was prescribed in Leviticus 1 through 5. It's the guilt offering that wasn't to be offered at this time. And I think the deal with that is that it's not specific sins that we're going to be offered up for at this time. More, more of a general offering. As Gordon Wenham writes, the purpose of these sacrifices was not to atone for specific sins, but for the general sinfulness of the nation. To dedicate the whole people to the Lord, to the worship of God according to His appointed means and to pray for God's blessing on them. In other words, this was, is this was an offering a little bit like the Day of Atonement. This is the offering which covers everything. Cleanse Aaron first and cleanse the people. Moses, though, tells us the purpose of these offerings. Verse 6, And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. In other words, you perform these sacrifices and the glory of the Lord will appear. Make me eager to do these sacrifices. Uh, imagine if, if we were instructed to do something and we are promised that the glory of the Lord would appear. I'd be like all ears. Absolutely, count me in. Let's let's do this. And indeed, at the end of the chapter, we're going to see the glory of the Lord appear. It's just a, a little foreshadowing for you, but we need to we need to get there. But we need to work our way through the details. And if you've been with us the past few months, right? If you've been here and you thought about these offerings, these sacrifices, you just see that. Aaron's simply going to carry out everything that was commanded in the first seven chapters of Leviticus. He's going to take animals and kill them. He's going to take their blood, sprinkle it as appropriate, put it on the horns of the altar as appropriate, pour it out the base of the altar as appropriate, burning the correct portion of the carcasses as appropriate, and burning other portions outside the camp. We're going to see that doing exactly what, what God says. So let's just read about it here. Verse 7. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. This is Moses' instructions, right? You do the sin offering and the burnt offering for yourself and then for the people. That's what we're going to see in Leviticus 16, the the day of atonement where the high priest goes in and atones first for his own sins, and then he comes out and is going to go in again and then atone for the sins of the people because we need a a pure priest. Well, verse 8, we see Aaron just sacrificing. And this should be familiar language to you. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him And he dipped his finger in the blood and put on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat in the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. And the flesh and the skin he burned with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering and Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar and they handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece and the head and he burned them on the altar and he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them, the burnt offering, on the altar. These offerings were for himself. And these offerings were done exactly according to what you can read in Leviticus chapter. 4 for the sin offering and chapter 1 for the burnt offering. But he had to offer these first for himself because as Hebrews 7.28 says, the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. They are sinful beset with weaknesses and sacrifices needed to be atoned for him, for the priest first, because priests are sinful. They need atonement for their own sins so then they can make atonement for the people, which he does in verse 15. And let's read on. And he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering and took a handful of it and burned it on the altar beside the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram and the sacrifice of the peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar, but the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail which covers the entrails and the kidney, and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breast, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh, Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as he commanded. In other words, he, he grabbed the smoke and it's smoking, and so he waves it before the Lord and says, this is our offering. Now the sacrifice is completed or nation ceremonies close to being over, all that remained was blessing of the people, which he did in verse 22. Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. Then they came down from the offerings and the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. And this blessing that he gave upon his people, we don't know exactly, but I would, I would guess it's probably the words of Numbers chapter 6, 24-26, through 26, which you've probably heard often if you've been in church your life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And oh, how Israel would have loved those words of just the blessing of this purified man who's who's offered then sacrifices for the people fleeting God's grace and His countenance, His mercy and His peace to be upon Israel. What a great day. Here, they built the tabernacle. They got all these structures up and going. And they consecrated the priests. And now it's the first day in which God is actually atoning for their sins. You think about it, they may have sacrificed before, but now is the first time where everything is all set. Right? They're coming into the building. Everything is going as planned. What a blessing was coming upon them. And I just, You want to be blessed of the Lord? Think about it. You want to be blessed of the Lord. This was a happy occasion. Things were going well. And they received the greatest confirmation that the world has ever known that these things were pleasing to God. Verse 23, and Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. So God's glory has come. This is Shekinah glory. And all the people saw the glory of God in this moment. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. What a great day. What a great event. Can can you just imagine the scenario that the priests give this blessing they go into this tent of meeting. As they come out, the glory of the Lord shines. And then fire comes and consumes everything upon the altar. What was burning slowly burned quickly when God's fire came. Now, when it says here that fire came from the presence of the Lord, it may have come from the, the tabernacle itself and arced over into the altar. Or it may have come even from heaven. We, we don't know. All the way down. But somehow it was dramatic, so the people knew that God himself received their sacrifice with favor. I talked last week about how not all Israel was able to witness the actual ordination ceremony of of Moses because there are millions of people in the the congregation, in in, in the people, but, but the tent of meeting was smaller. But if this fire indeed came out of heaven, that could have been seen for miles around in all of Israel could have seen this fire coming down from heaven and the whole congregation able to witness perhaps everything that God was doing for Israel. In fact, it even says there in verse 24 that all the people saw it and they shouted and fell on their faces. Look look at their reaction. I I think it's reverence. Shouting and falling on their faces. Maybe the shout was shock. Like, wahh! There's fire coming out. They're like, whoa, what is that? Maybe it's a shout of of awe. Maybe it's a shout of fear. I mean, it's not every day that you see fire coming out and just jumping and, and consuming things upon the altar. But they fell on their faces they were down on the ground, like worshiping the Lord, like there he is. He is so awesome and majestic. He's consumed our sacrifices. He's accepted them. We are one with him. What an exciting day of worship that would have been. There's nothing boring about that. As fearful as these things were, they were good. It was good worship. Aaron had done everything according to plan. God received their worship. People responded in awe, bowing low to the ground to worship this God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt. I say, in your worship, is there reverence and awe like this? See, these people were coming enthusiastic about a right heart with God. Come and... Purified of their sins through the sacrifice, the coming with faith. And when you come and worship the Lord, do you worship with a reverence? You worship Him with purity? Do you know that apart from a mediator between you and God, apart from the priest Jesus Christ, you'd be undone. Do you come knowing that you have no other hope in the world? Listen, when you come that way, your worship can be sweet to be helpful and encouraging to your souls. And as good as things were to Israel and to Aaron, things go horribly wrong with Aaron's sons. It's our second point. Bad worship. And we see the climax right off. We saw the climax in chapter 9 right at the end. And now we see the climax in chapter 10 right at the beginning. And then it tails off. So catch the climax. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it And laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now you have to realize Nadab and Abihu, the two oldest sons of Aaron, had front row seats to see the the majesty of God and, and all of Israel's dealing with the Lord. They were with Moses and Aaron and the 70 elders when Moses went up to the mountain the second time. Now, it was only Moses that could come near to the Lord, but Nadab and Abihu were as close as anyone else could get before the Lord. And this last chapter, in chapter 8, they were the ones to receive the ceremonial washings. They received these priestly garments. They were anointed with oil, and they had the blood of the sacrifice supplied to them. They ate the priestly portion of the offerings, and they saw fire consume the altar, consume the the burnt offering and the rest of the sin offering. They saw that. They witnessed that. Front row seats. And yet, for some reason, they still come to the Lord this day. We can only assume it's still the ordination day. They brought this unauthorized fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. You know, I, I, I do think about Adam and Eve. They walked with God. And they were with God. And you think, boy, anybody who walks with God and right with Him would surely see His majesty and obey Him. But those who walked with God, Adam and Eve, found the fruit more attractive than God. And so likewise here with Nadab and Abihu on the very day that they had these sacrifices offered, they offered this fire which God had not commanded. In fact, that's emphatic there, I think, that which He had not commanded commanded them. This goes contrary to everything in these past two chapters, right? I pointed out last week in chapter 8 the seven times that that was listed how everything was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Seven times as the Lord commanded Moses. As the Lord commanded Moses. They did just as Moses was instructed according to Moses' instruction. And here in chapter 9, five times similar statements. Chapter 9, verse 5, and they brought what Moses commanded in the front of the tent of meeting. They did just what Moses commanded. Chapter 9, verse 6, Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded. And it was done. Chapter 9, verse 7, they made atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Chapter 9, verse 10, Right? they, they left the kidneys and the lobe of the sin offering as the Lord commanded. Chapter 9, verse 41, Moses Aaron waved the, the thigh as a wave offering as the Lord commanded. And, and, and you read chapters 8 and chapter 9, and you see no deviation at all in what Aaron did, what Moses did, everything according to what God says. And now for the first time you see deviation. The oldest sons offering their incense for the first time and they off, offer up unauthorized fire which he had not commanded. The contrast could hardly be more clear. Moses and Aaron did according to what God had commanded them. And there was great blessing. The fire from heaven came down and consumed The offering, but Nadab and Abihu deviated. And we read in verse 2 what happened to them. The fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. See, God takes the worship of Him very seriously. These two men offered up this unauthorized fire and God kills them on the spot. No trial, no appeal, no second chances. They disobeyed and they were destroyed. And, and, and just as this fire came from the presence of the Lord in, in chapter 9, verse 24, so it comes from the presence of the Lord in chapter 10, verse 2. Now and and again, is, is it coming straight from the, from the tent and it's, it's arcing over right there and consuming these guys? Or is it coming from heaven? We don't know, but it's, it's, it's clearly Miraculous. And God doesn't miss. It's not like He he was trying to get the incense and went, oops, I got Nadab and Abihu. He doesn't miss. He got what He aimed for. He was aiming for these men who were disobedient. And we see the response in verse 3, then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be honored. And Aaron held his peace. It's very interesting that when the fire came out and consumed the sacrifice upon the altar the first time, there were shouting and falling on the face, faces. When the fire came out from heaven and struck Nadab and Abihu, there was silence. From the start, the Lord was sending a clear message to Israel. You will treat me as holy or you will pay the consequences. I can't help but to think of the parallels of the early days of the church. Remember Ananias and Sapphira. They saw Barnabas selling his land and, and giving it to the, to the apostles for the, the help of those who had need. And so Ananias and Sapphira sold their land. And they kept back a portion for themselves, which was okay. But then they lied about it and says, yes, this is how much we sold the land for. And as each of them lied, God killed them on the spot. Because they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God. And I, and I think in some sense that was just right at the start of the early days of the church. God saying the same message. You treat me as holy or you pay the consequences. The story of Uzzah is similar. You remember in the Old Testament, First Kings 6 when uh, they're bringing the ark back to the temple because it's been away, because they, they had left it and the Philistines had captured it and it started to wobble and, and Uzzah, the Kohathite, who should have known better because he would read Leviticus, he read Numbers, took out his hand to steady the ark, which should have been carried in the first place, thinking that his hand was more pure than the mud into which the ark was going to fall. God says, you shall not touch it. And he struck us a dead on the sight. You will treat me as holy or you will pay the consequences. Happened in the early church. 1 Corinthians 11 speaks about those who came wrongly to the Lord's Supper. It says, son of you, sleep, meaning that you're dead because God has struck you dead because you've not treated me as holy. T. Campbell Morgan pointed out Regarding the sacrifice of this death of the priest, he says a disobedient priesthood means a corrupted nation. And a corrupted nation means a wronged world. In other words, you mess up the priesthood, the whole nation will go astray. And you mess up the nation and its evangelistic purposes to the world will go astray. The purpose of Israel on this earth was to be light. God's people, light to the nations and how they needed to get it right. Spread this gospel far and, and wide. And So salvation and blessing was at stake right at this point, and God stepped in to teach the people how He is to be approached He is approached to, to be approached with honor and with purity, right Verse three again. Then Moses said to Aaron, and I think of anything we learn from Nadab and Abihu, this is it. This is what the Lord said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. Or as the numeric standard says, I will be treated as holy. And before all this people, I will be glorified. Or I will be honored. Or I will weigh heavy on the people. But give him great honor. So I'm going to be approached. Honor, purity, righteousness. In fact, that is the whole theme of Leviticus, is it not? You shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. We just put up here the application. You shall be holy for space sake. But God is holy and we need to be holy to approach Him and to live. You know, I I do fear that there's much flippancy in in the church today. Many people just kind of you know, come and come to God and do their, do their thing and kind of leave without this sense of awe or dread. People think anything's okay. But if Nadab and Abihu teach us anything, it's God wants us to come to Him in purity and righteousness and obedience and honor. And for those who don't, a death sentence awaits. Look at how serious God was to these things. Verse 4, And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron. So in other words, these are Aaron's cousins. Close relatives, but not anointed as priests at this point. He says, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So these men came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, remember there are five anointed, right? Aaron and his four sons, and now there are three of them left. Eliezer and Ithamar have got to pick it up for their older brothers. It says, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die. Another death threat here. And wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled, and don't do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting another death threat here, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you, and they did according to the word of Moses. Leviticus twenty one will read that priests aren't to be defiled by touching dead bodies. Nadab and Abihu were carried away by Aaron's cousins, close relatives, garments and all, still dressed in their garments, taking them away, burying them in their priest's attire. And Aaron and his sons were prohibited to mourn. They're prohibited to leave the tent of meeting, verse 7. And it all makes a point. Don't question the ways of God. There are many people today who are like, Nadab and Abihu, why didn't they get a second chance? What, what kind of God is this? But Eleazar and Ithamar and Aaron were not to question God. They, were, God, they weren't to, to tear their garments and show the normal sign of, of mourning or, or letting, letting their hair down as some terrible misfortune had happened to them or they'd come under some great condemnation of God or, or question God. No, they were to stand in solidarity with God, agreeing with Him entirely and not mourning. How hard it is not to mourn for your brother or to mourn for your son. See, they were the priests of the Most High, and they're to be united with him in every way. See, God had every right to kill Nadab and Abihu. They did what the Lord had never commanded. They sought to worship the Lord as they saw fit, rather than the way that God had commanded, and so he struck them dead. See, and God has every right to do that with us as well. He really does. Does not the potter have the right? Over the lump of clay, to make some vessels for honorable use and some for dishonorable use, and for some clay to be thrown back into the earth from which it came. God has every right to treat us like Nadab and Abihu. John Bradford said, She saw a group of prisoners being led off to execution, but by the grace of God, there go John Bradford. It is only the grace of God that pulls us away from the fate of Nadab and Abihu. God was just in putting them to death. And for our sin, He would be just in putting us to death. Right? The wages of sin is death. But see, it's the free gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Anytime we live, it's just by His mercy. All we have is by His mercy. Everything we have is by His mercy. That we live and breathe is by His mercy and His grace to us. Now, many have looked into this unauthorized fire, this strange fire, and have sought to understand it. Some translations say strange fire. Some, uh, just a couple options here. Some say it's just the, the recipe that Nadab and Abihu used to concoct their incense Maybe they put the wrong the wrong things in the right place. Exodus 30, verse 9 and 10 speaks about how unauthorized fire is not to be offered before the Lord. It was clear, don't take this unauthorized anointing oil and don't offer this by fire. Maybe they just put it together wrong. Well, some have argued that Nadab and Abihu were drunk when they were entering here and offering up their sacrifice. Thereby explaining verses 8 through 10, 8 through 11. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you. And when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. There's another death threat. It's the third or fourth or fifth. I lost track. It will be a statute forever through your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you're to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken by Moses, see, Aaron and his sons and all future priests were not to drink alcohol. Some say it's because Nadab and Abihu were drunk. Maybe. Maybe it has to do with the fact that in your morning, don't drink strong drink. But at any rate, the priests were not to drink strong drink because they need to discern. They need to think clearly. They need to come before the presence of the Lord with a clear mind. Understanding an alcohol may inhibit that ability. Some think that Nadab and Abihu were drunk, therefore God struck him. Maybe. But some have argued even Nadab and Abihu came with hard hearts. And that God really saw what was in their hearts. Which maybe is why they concocted their uh, uh, their incense the way they did. Maybe they were flippant and lazy as they came into God's presence. Or... Maybe they thought they were going to do what they wanted to do. In fact, it's interesting. If you look at verse 1, There's no sense that Moses didn't command them. Okay, now you guys go and offer up the incense. It's almost a sense that they just did their own thing, coming with a, a hard heart. Well, and, and thereby you explain verses 12 to 20. See, Eleazar and Ithamar didn't do everything right either, but they didn't die. And perhaps it's because their heart was different. God is the one who can see and judge the heart. In fact, let's this, this look. See how they didn't present things rightly. Verse 12: Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his surviving sons, "Take the grain offering that's left of the Lord's food offering and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. See this: this bread that's left over of the grain offering is to be eaten by the priests, and it is to be eaten where it is. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your sons' due from the Lord's food offering. For so I am commanded." But the breast that is waved and the thigh that's contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughter with you. For they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifice of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that's waved, they shall bring with their food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it should be yours and for your sons as a do forever as the Lord has commanded. In other words, right? Just complete the sacrifice. You've offered up the peace offering. And there's this... Um, you're the sin offering, eat both of them, and, and there's parts left over you're to eat, and you're, you're supposed to eat of this bread, this grain. They're, they're supposed to, like, you know, go to Chick fil A and have this chicken sandwich, right? This, this sandwich there. Or this beef or this meat or whatever this is, a thigh. They're supposed to go and have this hamburger, and they're supposed to go and eat it in this holy place, is what, what Moses instructed them. Just finish these sacrifices. But in verse 16, we see a problem. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burnt up. The sin offering, everything's not supposed to be burnt up, there's supposed to be stuff left over. And he did it wrong, and he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it's a thing most holy and has been given to you, that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Right? There's something about this eating, something about the priest taking place that finishes the sacrifice, but they messed up. Behold, its, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. <clears throat> so Moses, Aaron, stands up for his sons. He said, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offerings before the Lord. And yet, such things as these have happened to me. If, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when the Lord heard that, He approved. When Moses heard that. He approved. So, somehow there's a misunderstanding. Eleazar and Ithamar didn't eat. Maybe it's because they didn't understand fully all these instructions. I know you all are confused. I'm confused with all the instructions of everything they have to do. But for some reason they didn't eat. But Moses told them to eat. But I believe grace was shown here to Eleazar and Ithamar. Lest it be just Aaron the high priest and foregone in the first day. That wouldn't be so attractive to other priests coming into the fold. The grace was shown because of some circumstances. I don't fully understand these circumstances. But, but the sense is that they were coming to the Lord with a, with a right heart and a soft heart. <clears throat> perhaps unlike Nadab and Abihu. That's why people say Nadab and Abihu came with a hard heart. These guys came with more of a, a softer heart. The strange fire may have been because they knew full well Nadab and Abihu what they were doing. In the end, we don't know what the strange fire was. We just don't. And in fact, I think it's like many things in Scripture. God gives us the details he wants to give us. And he withholds the details he wants to withhold from us. He could have been really clear. But think of the damage or think of the implication if he just said, oh, they mixed it wrong. That's why they got axed. Well, our tendency then would be to say, well, let's just make sure we mix it right And forget these other things like a a soft heart or or drinking before the Lord, which would have been so bad. I I think that God's intentionally kept it from us because it it keeps our focus off this, this one thing, this external thing that we can do so we're not like Nadab and Abihu. And I think he's kept it general just to say there's something I've not authorized and you've transgressed and you deserve to die. And so I, I just ask you, right, when you come to worship before the Lord, whether it's in church, you're coming here, or whether it's in your family, you come for family worship, or, or whether it's at home where you, you come in your closet, your private worship, how do you come? Do you come with reverence? Do you come with awe? Do you come with a, a soft heart? Do you come as God has commanded you? Or are you so familiar with the ways of God, you've lost your awe? I've never seen anybody struck dead by fire because they haven't worshipped God rightly. Maybe I have a false sense of security. Maybe you have a false sense of security. Maybe we've received so much mercy that it's just commonplace. So we just expect that that's all we're going to get. But if it's going to be acceptable, it needs to be Pure. A message this morning is entitled We Need a Pure Priest, Part 2. We saw chapter 8. We need a pure priest. We need these priests sanctified and set apart and consecrated. And this week also, we, we need an Aaron, if you will. We don't need Nadab's and Abihu's representing us because God rejected their sacrifice. Chapter 6 and 7 of Leviticus teach us that we need a priest. And now we're learning 8 through 10 that we need a pure priest. And of course, who's the only pure priest we have? What's his name? Jesus. We saw last week how the priests needed to offer sacrifices for themselves, and Jesus didn't, because he himself was pure. He doesn't have to stand daily like those high priests offering sacrifices for themselves, because he is the pure priest. How much better to get to, to heaven and go to God through the mediator Jesus, who has always done things exactly as God has said? He is our, our pure priest. Able to offer up pure sacrifices. So so run to Jesus and let his sacrifice dominate the day and, and hide under the shelter of his wings. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray you'd brush, I pray that you would bless your word. Um, help us to examine our worship, O oh Lord. Help us to be pure worshipers of you. God desiring to live holy, righteous lives. God, so sanctify us and cleanse us by Your grace. God, to live before You in such a way that our our songs to You aren't rejected. Our prayers to You aren't stopped. God, be that here, be it on the road when we're praying without ceasing, when we're praying for other people. God, may You be worshipped and glorified in us. I pray, God, You'd protect us from this bad worship. Even as we spent time in prayer meeting this Sunday, this morning, how easy is it for us to think we're not like the Pharisees who accuse Jesus of eating with the tax gatherers and sinners. He says because they need the Gospel. Father, how easy is it for us to be in our holy huddle and, and think we've got a heart for sinners though it practically doesn't work itself out. And So I pray, God, You would help us not to be deceived thinking of our, our own worship. God, but may You pierce our hearts. You are the, the discerner of the hearts. May You show us whether worship is good or bad. And God, lead us to the, the place where only worship is good through Jesus, our great mediator, our great high priest. God, lead us to our faith trust in Him to be made righteous and whole. Oh God, use these words. I pray for Von Nice. we go away this week, help us and bless us. Cause much work to be done. In these short days, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.